Hello, and welcome back from the holiday season, and welcome to this eighth episode of Let's Talk Ringette. I'm your host and producer, Robin Gillespie. Back in September, Bronwyn and I sat down for a chat with Lori Eisler, head coach of the University of Alberta Pandas volleyball team. Lori has coached the U of A since 1991. She coached the team to seven national championships and 10 conference titles and has been named Canada West Coach of the Year eight times, most recently in 2017. Lori also has international experience coaching beach volleyball at the 1996 Olympic Games and the national B team at the FISU Games in 2005. She's the all-time winningest coach in U of A history and managed to spare a morning to chat with us about coaching women, coaching her own daughter, and being a female head coach in a male-dominated sports world. Hope you enjoy. Um, so to start, can you tell us a bit about your sporting background, either starting with mm. playing maybe or coaching wherever it sort of began? Yeah, I was a, a multi-sport athlete back in the day. It was a long time ago. I played softball and volleyball, basketball, school sports, um, and then started to specialize into volleyball in high school. I played at the University of Saskatchewan. I was really blessed with a, a master coach at the University of Saskatchewan. I played for him for five years. I'm, you couldn't ask for a better role model, especially going into coaching. I think everything I needed to learn, I learned from him. Having said that, there was more things I needed to learn, especially I think around the, the leadership pieces around um, coaching women in particular and um, and what leadership means in the women's environment. I started coaching immediately when I finished playing, so I was done my five years. I had an uh, education degree but knew I didn't want to teach, so I asked, you know, talked to my coach, and he created an assistant coaching position for me, which allowed me to, to continue being mentored by him. Um, I did lots of administrative work around that, started taking more classes in physical education, ended up doing my master's in uh, sports psychology at University of Saskatchewan, but got the job here before I was done my master's. Um, I completed it once I was here. So um, this opportunity came up in 91. I felt ready, but it was still pretty overwhelming um, coming into a program that was on the chopping block, so the whole financial stress around that and and not really good on the competitive front either. <laughs> and so, I, yeah, it's been 28 years. We've, we've uh, family, my husband moved with me. He's also a coach. I raised our kids here and um, have had the opportunity to only coach age class. I was a U6 assistant coach in soccer. Cute. <laughs> it was very cute. Only because I really didn't trust my son to behave himself, so I thought I needed to be around it a little bit. But I was really lucky too, because John Dunn, who is one of our professors in sports psychology and, and a really awesome soccer coach, uh, he was the head coach, so I got to work with him. <laughs> Look at there that. Yeah, and uh, I did U13 girls volleyball. I was assistant coach for U13 when my daughter was playing, and, and uh, that was an interesting uh, environment to be in uh, with these really young kids and and kind of getting a feel for what youth sport is all about because really my only experience in youth sport was as a youth I didn't coach youth sport I yep. went right from playing varsity level to coaching varsity level and so it was good for me to get down there in the trenches but I only stayed in it for one season I didn't think it was healthy for 
for my daughter for right. me to be coaching her and and I we had a club and I knew that our club coaches <laughs> were really good and yeah. just entrusted them with with uh, when we look at female coaches what do you think are some of the barriers that mm-hmm. prevent women from taking on coaching roles because would you say it's still fairly male dominated yeah. even in the females athletic side of things oh absolutely yeah. we only have two female coaches at the University of Alberta um, who's the other? Liz Jepson for soccer. Soccer, soccer okay. and certainly at I, I haven't seen the numbers lately, but at whether it's the university level, our uh, national team of staff is all male. There are some club coaches that are women and high school coaches that are women, but I I don't think it's even close to probably fifty fifty. Yeah. So it is an issue. I think one of the there's many variables. I think totally. one of them is that uh, many young women question their competency. And so I don't know why that's different. I, I have yet to see a young male coach question their competency. Well, it's interesting, actually. <laughs> I actually sent a survey out to coaches in yeah. the summer because I was trying to figure out what I could do to help them. And I asked, what do you think are some of the barriers that prevent women from getting involved? And women seem to show a need to feel 100% confident about something before they do it, whereas men will kind of bluster in there. Yeah, I think women Not have all, a very good awareness of what they don't know. And they will tend to dwell on that and want to be really complete because they understand what it you know what that role requires and they want to feel really competent doing it and um so they need some encouragement we can't expect women just to be banging down our door um you know begging for opportunities we need to identify encourage um and be pretty proactive i think in that process of um recruitment of women and then keeping them is the next task because uh, you don't become a great coach in one year you know (laughs) so in the whole coach development it takes time to become a great coach and um, it's it's not easy so what kind of mechanisms are in place to support that coach I find being the president of our coach our uh, club one of the things I do is uh, oversee the evaluation of our coaches by the players and the parents I'm and through my own experience, both as an instructor at the university, um, as a coach at the university, we seem to, as a society, be pr- it's pretty easy for us to criticize a woman. It's just like you have a big target on you. And I don't see the same happening with men. It seems that there's just being male gives a certain level of credibility and we just grant competence to them. And that's fine. I mean, it's fine to do that. But then women should have the same credibility and respect. So we have to be really aware of that because in sport, we know that our coaches can be um, really treated poorly. And so what we've tried to do in our club is just create conflict resolution policies to ensure that there is a layer between um, the parent and the coach that we can handle some of that maybe buffer it and and deal with it so it's not all on the coach to deal with um that's had mixed results um we still have had some issues in for sure with um within the club and it's not all sometimes you know coaches make mistakes (laughs) so totally (laughs) (laughs) so helping parents understand that the coaches are developing as well the athletes are developing, the coaches are developing, and let's be part of this system of development as opposed to expecting um, perfection 
from one subset and uh, and not from the others. So so I think retention is is a big thing, and I think women generally feel that they have a very small window of opportunity to kind of get their life going, and it's probably got to do with bio- biology. <laughs> <laughs> There's an urgency to get their careers going, to potentially find whoever their partner is going to be in life, and to kind of get on track with their life when they leave university. A little bit less time to just sort of play around. And I think we see that in you know women, in our sport anyway, less likely to play senior women's sport. Lots of men signing up to do senior men's stuff. And, and I think it shows in the coaching as well that they're a little bit more... Um, cautious about using their how they use their time with our club where I we pay our coaches now it is an honorarium and it it isn't indicative of actually the time that they spend but at least it's we're trying to make it more like a job so they can justify the time that they're committing and sacrificing to the sport and um, maybe it makes it a little bit easier the conversation they have with their partner as well so it's not just seen as volunteer time that it is contributing to the household and um, worthwhile in their life so I yeah so beyond that I'm you know I think we really need to target some of our former athletes and and again within our club that's our first group that we're looking at is who played for our varsity program and how can we engage them right away if we can get engage them right away in coaching then it becomes part of their life uh, if we lose them for too long, sometimes they're coming back as moms, yeah. <laughs> which is fine, but we've lost them for 12 years in the, in the meantime. So, and, and, and again, I'm not sure that the parent coach is really the right dynamic. Well, I know it's not. I'll go that far. It, it's very, very difficult to be a parent and a coach yep. and on the same team. Yep. <clears throat> so if we can avoid that, we will avoid that. There are cases where we do have parents coaching, and, and I was a parent coach, but um, wherever we can, um, it's not about avoiding it. We do have a parent coach right now that is, we are so fortunate to have these two parents involved in our club, so it would be kind of crazy not to have them involved. Yeah. But we need to understand that there's going to be some potential fallout from that yeah. and have a plan for that. Do you mind elaborating on some of the challenges you found coaching your own child or, yeah. um, or having parents, other parents coach? Well, I think for my, I'll speak from coaching my own child. So they, the mm-hmm. girls are 12 years old. I just felt that I really interfered with our ability to be mother-daughter. And she was too young to be able to differentiate between now I'm your coach and now I'm your mom. And how we sh- would be interacting with one another and... And I just felt like for my for myself, it was um, unnecessary. Like I'm not that good <laughs> as a coach or a mom. A coach. Oh, <laughs> like give me a break. There's lots of great coaches around, and it's U13. You know, so and I would say that you know through the system, there's tons of great people around that can coach. I don't need to be in control of. <laughs> <laughs> you know my kids development all the way through and but many coaches are control freaks right <laughs> so it's very very hard to kind of let go and let somebody else um, have control but I think many parents are control freaks it's not just coaches that are control freaks no, parents are control freaks so can they really entrust somebody else with what they see as such, you know it, it's a big job like coaching you have a lot of influence over 
that uh, those children in many ways and so you know I think that being able to um, let go a little bit to trust your own child that they need to navigate the world that you can't be there you know holding their hand all the way through that there's going to be some good times there's going to be some bad times what I found being able to step back and, and have I really enjoyed the fact that my children dealt with a lot of adversity in sport and then they could use me as a source and my husband as a source of um, just a resource of how do you deal with this coach that's saying these things or this teammate that's doing these things without going in and fixing it for them we could sit back and, and try to equip them with some skills so that they could function better in this environment creating the adversity so that they could be stronger people and actually learn from these sporting experiences and and carry those that skill set forward in their next experience the way only sports and team sports can do <laughs> exactly so um, you know, some of the things my, our kids experience, I, I wish they hadn't, but I do think it's also been part of what's made them who they are today, and I'm really proud of who they are today, and, and um, I'm thankful that I didn't have to create that adversity for them in our own home. <laughs> <laughs> to make them or to have to then then have that adversity and then have to deal with both sides of it. Yeah, yeah. A, a very weird conflict of interest. Right. Like, and frankly, my husband and I do enough coaching. Like, we, <laughs> it, it's so nice to be able to just sit and enjoy watching. Yeah. Uh, but you, there's all those really great days. But there was a lot of really hard days too, where we, you know, was involved in a process where a coach was removed and oh. being a perceived as a you know an expert coach on that in that parent group you know you carry a lot of influence and that was delicate but you know a, a call had to be made and and you know it's it was so interesting to be involved in youth sport as a parent because you get to be on the other side of what's happening with these coaches and um where is the line like where when what is that point where it's just not okay to do what you're doing with these kids yeah. and uh, I think we, yeah I think my husband and I we learned a lot about it we might have done some things differently but we always measured it based on how are, how are the kids doing yeah. you know and, and are they um, not just surviving but thriving in their sport experience uh, why do you coach what what is it that you love about coaching or that keeps you coming back well, I really love, well, I love competition. There's no doubt that that's like, the highs we get in sport, you don't get anywhere else in your life. And the lows are low too. Um, so living on this uh, wide flowing pendulum <laughs> is really um, exciting for me. I, I really have learned over the years how I've changed. I, I, that used to be the, really the thing that drove me. What, as I've matured, um, I really enjoy seeing the growth in people and the impact that we can make on on individuals and giving them opportunities to just become who they're going to be next. And uh, it's really quite amazing to see the 18-year-old and then see them when they're leaving at 22, 23, um, ready to take on the world, you know, not needing us anymore, except if they need a reference letter or something like that. <laughs> but um, it's, it's a really uh, rewarding not only in that sort of life skills and becoming the person they're going to be, but as an athlete, being able to be part of their growth from, we've got an athlete with the national team right now that's 
uh, a libero with the national team that played at the World Championship, and just being able to to know that we were part of that journey. You know, it was a small town, southern Alberta kid that came to us, and uh, she's playing professionally now, and that's amazing. You know, living the dream, right? Yeah. And so, <clears throat> but that isn't the only dream. We've got alumni that are doctors. We have uh, stay-at-home moms. We have teachers, we have business people, we have, you know, across the spectrum. And and what I see them doing once they leave is they continue to lead, you know, whether they're coaching or in their business life, whatever they're doing, um, they're, they're just doing great at it. So s- sports and are giving confidence yeah, to well, all Well, and they're, they're, they're contributing to their community. Yeah. And so just being able to provide them with the opportunities for them to, to learn the you know, kind of the skills and understanding of what team is all about, who they are, and having the wherewithal to take those skills forward and help their communities, I think is, um, you know, you can tell I'm, I'm older now, right? <laughs> I care about things like that. And because I think there's a, there's a Japanese um, philosophy called Ikigai, which essentially is the meaning of life. And it really um, resonates with me. It's basically, what do you love? What are you good at? What can you get paid for? And how can you help the world? And when those four pieces come together, then you found your ikigai. And and for me, I can't imagine anything else where I would get the enjoyment from it that somebody would pay me. Um, you know, maybe golfing, but I don't think anybody's <laughs> paying me to golf. And I'm not gonna help the world. I'd probably just wreck a bunch of golf courses. So, you know, when it, as far as employment, um, I can't think of any other thing that I would do that would give me the fulfillment. Now, of course, there's tons of sacrifices and there's stress and my family's always asked, not my immediate family sees me as a volleyball coach. Uh, my extended family kind of looks at it and goes, when are you going to get a real job? <laughs> <laughs> you know, when are you going to do something less stressful? But I think as long as you have, um, I perceive that I have the coping mechanisms to deal with the stress that I'm dealt with so I'm fine like it's not killing me and if anything I think it's making me healthier and happier so obviously there was really tough years as the kids were you know I, I coached through those child bearing child rearing years and those are really really hard and really demanding and it, you know I maybe had more doubts then now that they're my kids are 21 and 19 kind of feel like got them through it. <laughs> and uh, they're well on their way to uh, being adults and um, this time in my coaching career might actually be the most enjoyable because it's I uh, it's I have the time I have more time yeah. as well I just had one other question what's some of the best advice you've been given yeah hmm. so I had a really unique experience when I was at University of Saskatchewan I, I was a coach on the staff for four years before I came here after I played. The third year, our head coach went on sabbatical, so he gave me his team. And I'm two years out of playing, like so pretty early to be head coaching a, a varsity program. And at the same time, so I took over his office, he left the country. It was pre-email, pre-smartphones, anything, right? So I had virtually zero contact with him. Next door neighbor, next office was the new sports psychologist that had come to t- to University of Saskatchewan, and he kind of took me under his wing a bit. And almost every day would ask me, "So how did practice go? What's going on? What you know?" Just allowed me to um, 
think about the why of what we do. And up until then, I had been, as an athlete, I really only knew my experience at the varsity level was with Mark, with my mentor coach. And so I had seven years of indoctrination of this is how you do it. This is how you coach women. This is how you coach volleyball at the university level. And and Dr. Spink kind of, you just challenged me and say, well, why that way? And what about this? And, and it allowed me the freedom to play around with it a little bit and really question and critically think about the why. And um, and having Mark leave the country gave me free license to do what I wanted to do too. <laughs> so it was a really unique uh, growing learning environment. And I think that's the thing I've really tried to carry forward is just to critically think about what we do all of the time. Um, challenge traditions and um, do things for the right reasons and, and have really understand your why in coaching. Um, it's it's not okay just to say because that's the way we've it's like the most annoying, <laughs> most frustrating thing you run into. I mean, well, one of them yeah. anyways. And I, I think I would get frankly um, bored. Like I don't like doing the same thing over and over again. No, you want to learn something. Too, yeah, right? I like trying things different and yeah. and being creative. And I know some of my colleagues think I'm crazy because some of the things that we try to do in sort of our systems or tactics and. I've, I think I've even been called delusional, um, but that's okay. I mean, as long at the end of the day, if we're all united knowing that we've put some good brain work into thinking about what we're doing and, and I spend a lot of time on self-analysis of, you know, individual athletes and, and team structures and as long as we can justify what we're doing, then, then we're good with that and we're not trying to please our competitors or uh, trying to convince the volleyball community that our way is the right way it's just the, it's the right way for us and it's it's we believe in it so yeah I think um, what goes with that is having the courage to do it and having the conviction to do it and being okay with being different it don't have to be cookie cutter you know it's it's innovate and be free to do what you want to do because I don't care what other people think, which is really another really hard thing for women. Yeah, um, I spent a lot of years being very concerned about what other people thought, and uh, maybe it was turning forty. I don't know. Yeah, which is why it's so hard too. for our young women because yeah. they're not, they may not be there yet. They yeah. might be. We're yeah. really really lucky if we can get them there already. If yeah. I had known, you know, what I know now. Awesome. Thank you so much. No I'm problem. so sorry we took up. So no, much that's of your fine. Time. It is Monday, January 7th, and here is your Ring It Roundup. The University Challenge Cup took place over the holiday break, and all of Alberta's teams finished in the top four in Tier 1. Universities of Northern Alberta finished fourth, just out of a medal spot, but they did receive the Jessica Hamather Sportsmanship Award during the tournament. University of Lethbridge finished second, earning a silver medal, and the University of Calgary Dinos defended their title, making them the National University Ringette Champions for the second year in a row. Congratulations to all the athletes and coaches. Western Conference NRL action is set to resume this upcoming weekend. Edmonton Wham will travel to the Vancouver area to play four games against the BC Thunder. The teams are 1-1 one one against each other so far, so it's sure to be a great weekend. 
January 19th to 20th, we'll see Manitoba Intact traveling to Calgary for three games against the Wrath. They play at the East Twin Arenas on Saturday at 12.15pm and 6.15, and at the Stu Hendry at 12.15pm on the Sunday. These games are in conjunction with the Esso Golden Ring Tournament, so if you are in town for that, take your team to watch Ringette's top athletes. Black Gold Rush will be back next week as well with a home game against Wham on January 20th at Clareview Community Rec Center in Edmonton. The game time there is 2 p.m. There are lots of tournaments coming up in the next couple weeks. Leduc is hosting the Wild Thing Tournament January 11th to 13th, and January 18th to 20th is very busy with the Golden Ring in Calgary, the Silver Ring in Edmonton, and the Ringette Scores on Cancer Tournament hosted by Universities of Northern Alberta at West Edmonton Mall. Good luck to all teams. Let's Talk Ringette is produced by Ringette Alberta and created using Anchor.fm. I'm your host and producer, Robin Gillespie. Special thanks to Lori Eisler for her time back in the fall and for patiently waiting for this episode to be available. Thanks to Bronwyn for setting up the meeting and leading the conversation. If you have any questions or comments regarding something you heard today, or you just want to say hi, or you want to suggest a topic for a future episode, send me an email. Robin at ringettealberta.com is how you can reach me. If you enjoy this podcast, share it with someone. Let them know it's available on Pocket Casts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, pretty much anywhere podcasts are available. Contact information, new episodes, policies, and news can all be found at ringatalberta.com. Until next time, see you around the rings.